Let me first of all say that I've uh, been out the last two Sundays. I've been in Northeast India and Nepal, did a couple of men's conferences, spoke at a church conference while I was away, had a great trip, really fruitful. And I just want to say thank you so much for your faithful support of the church work and what we're doing here and around the world. Uh, I don't have time to tell you all of the story today, and to be honest with you, some of it we don't need going out on the internet anyway because things are getting sensitive in uh, some of those parts of the world. But we're really seeing God break some ground in some areas, brand new areas, especially with Ron Cargay and his ministry. And it's so exciting what we've seen the last few days. And I just want to say thank you for your prayerful support the last several days, but I am so glad to be home. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Now I pray the next few minutes that you would use your word to speak into every one of our lives, something that we need to hear for this moment right now. Father, I believe you have that word, so we open our hearts to hear it and receive it and put it to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. We're going to look at a fairly familiar passage of Scripture today, but I'm going to read about 15 verses. We don't normally read that many verses unless it's important, but it is today because we're going to look at two stories and tie them together because they're really the part of one story. But we're going to look at two stories and then very quickly just share a few thoughts that I think will help you with some of the challenges of life today. As I begin this message, and I'll, and I'll probably take this week and next week to finish the message, but as I begin this message today, I, I want to start by laying a bit of a foundation that's away from the verses we're going to read. We're going to read 1 Kings 17. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We'll have the verses on the screen. But there's a passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that talks about seasons of life. And I think one of the things that church life does for us is it prepares us to navigate the different seasons of life. Because life is full of seasons, and each season is different. And when you're in church, you're involved in church, you're hearing the Word taught on a regular basis, you're applying that Word into your life, one of the things that happens is when new things come your way, you're not caught off guard by it because you have a foundation with which to approach it. And today, I, I want to talk to you for a couple minutes in this introduction about seasons, about seasons, because we in our humanity like to get our lives all dialed in just the way we like it, just the way we want it, where it's comfortable, where it's the way we want it in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, and then we start the next day, and we get everything dialed in, and we, once we get it dialed in, we say, we don't want anything to change. I want to keep it just like this. The truth of the matter is, the one thing I can promise you about tomorrow is it will be different from today. Change is a part of life. Now, let me tell you what Ecclesiastes 3 says. It says, to everything there's a season. To everything there's a season. And there is a purpose, a time for every purpose under heaven. So in other words, what he's saying is, Seasons are wonderful. They are coming. They're filled with purpose. There are all kinds of things that are supposed to be happening in different seasons. But one thing I've learned is when a season comes, it needs to come in season and not out of season. In other words, you don't want 100-degree weather in October <laughs> like we're going to have today. We don't really want that. You don't want snow in the middle of summer. There are seasons and we have expectations. But when things get out of sort, out of cycle, out of season in our lives, it becomes difficult to navigate through the challenges that come our way. But he, he goes on to say this later in verse 11. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. When things happen at the right time, everything is beautiful. Now, he gave us several examples. And let me talk to you about this for a couple of minutes because it's so important in setting up today's message. He says there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. Well, I'll, I'll grab the born part, that's wonderful. The dying part, I'm not so sure about that part. But God says everything is beautiful in its right time. He says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what you planted. There's a time to kill 
and a time to heal. There's a time to break things down. There's a time to build things up. And everything is beautiful when it's done in its proper season. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance. There's a time to embrace, and there's a time to not embrace. There's a time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep things and hold on to it, a time to throw things away. He said there's a time to tear something and there's a season and a time to sew it up. Here's another good one. There's a time to speak and there's a time to keep silent. How many of you are still trying to figure out those two seasons and get them all squared away? Bit of a challenge sometimes. He also said there's a time to love and a time to hate. See, that catches some people by surprise. There are things that God hates and he wants his children to hate the things that he hates. He also said there's a time for war there's a time for peace everything is beautiful in its right time in its right season but the point i want to make this morning is and what i want to begin with is life is always in transition life is in motion it doesn't stand still just like the world is turning life is turning it's moving on everything is in motion everything is changing and in order to properly navigate life, we have to learn how to deal with the seasons that we're in. In life, there's a temporariness all around us. Constant transition. Things are in motion. There's a process and then another process and then another process and then another. It just goes on and on and on. But how I navigate the end of one season determines how I enter into the next season. See, that's true physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. If I can leave one season and leave it well and move into the next season healthy, then I can handle that next season no matter what comes my way. But it's all dependent upon me understanding that change is always coming. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, one of my favorite verses. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We know, we know, we know that everything that's happening, all of this big ball, this big bundle that's moving forward, everything can be used by God and turned to good if we'll learn to walk it out with God. But change is always in the air. Problem is some of us want to get all of our ducks in a row. We want to get our lives totally organized and structured the way we want it, and then we don't want anybody touching it, anybody changing any of it, including God. And then when change comes, we oftentimes don't well, do well with it. So look, if you would, at 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read several verses here. I'll make some comments along the way. Some of you may know this story, so follow along verse number 1, 1 Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, Now, Elijah is a prophet. Ahab is an evil, ungodly, horrible, murderous king. He's a, he's a bad dude. So Elijah the prophet, inspired by God, comes to King Ahab and gets in the king's face. Here's what he said. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word now leave that verse up for a minute because i want to talk about it in those days you didn't just walk into the presence of the king and address him any way you wanted to the king had the power to chop off your head to kill you on the spot i don't know how he got the meeting set up i don't know how he structured it but he got close enough to the king to says here's what the lord says you've led my people in the wrong direction and i'm here to tell you according to god's word it's not going to rain until i say so that's a mouthful especially to tell the king who has the power over your head now another good verse two then 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 the word of the lord came to elijah saying Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. What God says is, okay, once Ahab processes all of this, and once he sees it's not going to rain, he's going to be so angry with you, he's going to want to kill you. So we need to hide you. 
take off running, go to this brook called Cherith. There are places there, probably some caves around the brook. Go there and hide, and I will protect you. Look at verse 4. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, these are the instructions of the Lord. Go to the brook and go into hiding. Drink water from the brook. Just stay there and hide. Don't worry about what you're going to eat because I've got that covered. I've got meals on wheels coming for you. Actually, it was meals on wings, I guess. But God said, here's what I'll do. I'll send these big blackbirds twice a day. They will fly in with fresh meat for you to eat. Amazing. Amazing story. What instructions? Let's go a little bit further. Verse 5, so Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Now, now stop here for a moment. Does anybody this morning want to sign up for the job of prophet? I mean, if you're like me, I'm like, you know, I think I'll just stay in the house and be the pastor. Let the prophets have that job of getting in the king's face. I'm not sure I want that. But it's interesting what comes from the story because not only do we see that Elijah is sent by God to the brook. When he gets there, every day, twice a day, these ravens fly in with meat and bread, and he has food to eat. I told first service, and I'll say it again second service, Pastor Aaron would have starved to death. He's a germaphobe. He wouldn't have handled it. Pastor Corey would have been begging for vegetables. He wouldn't have made it either. But it was God's provision for a season. And it says in verse number 7, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Notice that. The brook dried up. Why? Because Elijah said it's not going to rain until I say so. And it did not. The rain stopped and the brook dried up. And when that time came, here comes another season of change. You see, sometimes in life, we get into this flow of, wow, I'm in God's blessing. I'm in God's hands. Everything is perfect just the way I want it. Man, it's just going to stay like this forever. Can I just tell you, it's probably not. It's probably not. Things are changing around us. And God is not going to put us in a place and leave us there and say, well, just sit there and enjoy the recliner until Jesus comes. Or sit there until you die. You know, it's going to be okay. That's my plan for you. That's never been God's plan. God has more things planned, but we have to understand there are seasons of life and every season changes. Look at verse number 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now notice the words. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And you'll see I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, Well, while you're at it, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand also. And so she said to him, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin. Notice the words, a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar. And you'll see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. How many still want to be the prophet? I mean, God sends you to this woman you get there, and she's down to her last meal. And Elijah says, you know what? Since you've only got enough to feed one person, do this first. Feed me first. Feed me first. In verse 14, or thir pardon me, verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear. Do not fear. And i got to pause here just a moment. One of the things that is so important to hear today in this message some of you are facing or you're about to face a brand new season. There's major change coming into your life. 
Maybe it's a move. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe there's stuff with the family, whatever it might be. Let me tell you something. The first thing God says to you is don't be afraid of it. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. If anybody should be unafraid of change, it should be believers. He says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Then he goes on and says this. Go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. There's only enough for one, but he says, make mine first, then make yours. Verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Now this morning, I'm going to share three main thoughts with you. But before I get into it, I want you to think through these two stories from the perspective of Elijah, the prophet, the man of God, as Scripture calls him, and this widow who's broke, who the famine has taken down. She's down to her last meal with her little boy. Let's look at this through the eyes of these two people. And let's look at some things we can learn from what they dealt with. Number one, I think the first thing that I see in these stories is obedience. Everybody say obedience. You know, we're, we're people of faith. We talk about faith a lot around here. We're people of faith, people of faith. We believe God, we're people of faith. The greatest expression of faith is obedience to God. There is no greater expression of faith than your obedience to God, what God tells us to do. If you go through God's Word, there are a lot of scriptures in there where God gives us instructions on how to do life. Walk this way. Go in this path. Don't go in that path. Have this attitude. Don't have that attitude, but have this attitude. There is scripture after scripture after scripture where God gives us instructions for life. And then God says, now... Obey me. I'm setting before you a blessing and a curse, life and death. Choose life, choose blessing. Obey me and follow me. It's important for us to understand that God is always looking for obedience from us. But here's the thing. God has specific instructions for us in every season of life, especially in changing seasons. Especially in changing seasons. There have been some times in my life when, you know, major change has come along. And every time I've been through those changes, the only thing I knew to do was go get before God and lay it all out and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm kind of lost. You're going to have to show me where to go from here. One of the things I've learned is in every challenging season of life, God has always had instructions for me. Always. Always. But God gives us instructions, and then he wants to see our faith. He gives us instructions, and then he wants to see our obedience. And, you know, it's really interesting. You look at this story, especially with Elijah. You know, he, he tells the king, hey, it ain't going to rain till I say so. And then God says, you know, you, you probably ought to go hide. I got a good place for you to hide. Uh, there's water there, and I'll send the bread and the food. So you go to the brook. And what does Elijah do? Immediately he goes... To the brook. What a man of faith. What a man of obedience. Sure, I'll go to the brook. Sure. If you want to feed me with the ravens, that's fine. I'll eat that. I have no problem with that. He was a man of obedience. Later on, when the brook dried up, he says, Okay, God, what do I do now? He says, You need to go to Zarephath. Now listen closely to this. Zarephath is outside the walls of Israel. It's not among God's people. It's not among the believers of that day, if you will. And God says, go to that Gentile country, go to the city of Zarephath, and there's a widow there who'll take care of you. Well, in order for him to get there, he had to expose himself to the king. He had to take a journey of about 75 or 80 miles across this hot, dry desert. I mean, his, his picture is in every post office in the land. Everybody's looking for him. He's on the run, but he goes to Zarephath because God said, go there. Sometimes, sometimes God's instructions are humbling. Does anybody besides me not like that? Sometimes God's instructions are humbling. Go, go sit by a brook? 
Let blackbirds feed me? God, I don't like squirrel. I don't, who knows what they're going to bring, you know? I don't, I'm not a Cajun, you know? That's just not me. No. Obedience. 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 We need to learn when God gives us instructions, follow his instructions. And, you know, in life, sometimes God initiates change. Sometimes we initiate change. Sometimes change just happens, whether it's nature or other people who are close to us that initiate change. Change is going to happen. It's going to happen. And life's changing seasons can confuse us and turn us upside down. But God always has instructions for us, and they're coming either through his word or a word from the Holy Spirit. One of two things. Through his word or through the Holy Spirit. God always has instructions for us. So the question really becomes twofold. Number one, will I take time to hear God's instructions? Number two, once I've heard, will I follow God's instructions? God's looking for our obedience because our obedience, listen closely, our obedience positions us for God's provision. And we have to understand that. I remember in the Old Testament, there's a story of King Saul. You know, King Saul was, once he became king, he was so self-willed and became so full of himself and thought he was, you know, so big. It got to the place where he didn't even need God's instructions. God would give him instructions through the prophet, and he would just ignore it and do what he wanted to do. And finally, the prophet came to him and said, God's done with you. God's washed his hands. He's through with you. God rejects you because you will not obey. And there's this verse of Scripture in there, and I want you to hear this because it's so important. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Oh, you know what? I'm, I don't, I'm not sure I really understood what God said. I might have misunderstood him. Surely he didn't mean the brook. Probably what he was saying was, go read a nice book. That's probably what he was saying. So I don't need to go to the brook. And, and I don't know what this thing was about ravens, but oh, I, I don't understand. I, I, obviously, I misunderstood God. You know what? We walk out of so many blessings because we refuse to simply hear the word of the Lord and obey. Amen. God's looking for our obedience. And half obedience is still disobedience. Did you know that? Half obedience is still disobedience. You know, through the years, I've had a lot of occasions to talk with a lot of people in a lot of different situations and, you know, done some biblical counseling through the years with people trying to give them scriptural input to walk through challenges of life. I remember a couple of instances specifically dealing with young men. One was a, was a minister, one was not. But sitting down with young men who had faced major change, they'd been in a, a certain position and all of a sudden the position was gone, everything was about to change. And I, I remember sitting down with these guys and they were so frustrated and different, different occasions, years apart. But sitting down with these young men, and they were so frustrated, so upset because things weren't going the way they thought it was going to go. And if they vented and they vented and they vented and they vented and went on and on, and finally they said, What do you think? When they got finished, I said, Here's what I think. I think God knows what you need to do, but I think you need to get several bottles of water, get your Bible. Go out to the desert or go someplace where you don't know anybody, where nobody can bother you. Lock yourself in a room with God and pray and open your Bible until God gives you instructions. Because he will. He will. I've given that advice to a lot of people. But these two young men, both of them, I watched them just walk away like, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. I've got to run after this thing and do what I want to do. And I've watched these guys, one of them, turn around and throw away everything he ever had in life, everything he'd lived for. He threw it all away in a matter of months. The second guy, I told him, I said, here's the deal. You're a minister. You're wanting God's best for your life. You better go see what God says because if you do what you want to do, you're very likely going to mess things up here. 
But he didn't take my advice. He ran off in his own direction. And I've watched this young man for the last several years now just go around in circles, jumping from place to place to place, still trying to find himself, still trying to find that, that pot of gold behind the rainbow because he never stopped to hear the instructions of the Lord. God's instructions are not to corner you. God's instructions are to release you into his blessings. So if you're facing new seasons, get alone with God. Open up the scripture. Pray God will give you instructions and then you can obey. Number two, the second word is the word contentment. Contentment, not commitment. Contentment. I have a great admiration for Old Testament prophets because of their contentment that so many of them had. Elijah is a great example. You want me to go where? And you're going to feed me how? Hmm. You know what, God? I'm a, I'm a child of the Most High. I'm, I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. Glory to God. I deserve better than that. I'm on top and rising. You know, I, I think sometimes some of us get the idea that you know, God's there to serve our latest whim. And we fail to understand. Listen closely, please. In seasons of transition, things may be tough and things may be challenging for a while. But God's provision is always going to be right where he told you it would be. If he says, go to the brook, it'll be there. It'll be there. Elijah went to the brook. Now, I'm a, I'm a man, and I, I can think like a man, and you know, I'm just like every other man in the building. I can kind of paint my own mental picture. But I think when that brook dried up and God says, you know what, the water's dried up, there's no rain, uh, I got another place for you. I think when God said to him, go to Zarephath, I have a widow there who's going to take care of you, I think his eyes kind of lit up. Cool. There's probably some young woman. Her husband got killed in an accident, working out in the fields. He probably owns a thousand acres with all kinds of cattle, got a huge house with servants. And I'm going to go there and this widow, of course, she will be young and attractive and she'll like me a lot. When I get there, she's going to be there to take care of me. So he gets up, he starts his journey. He said, well, man, that's not scriptural. No, but he's a man. Trust me. He's, he's, he's processing, this, processing this thing before he gets there. He said, now, God, you know exactly the kind of woman I like. <laughs> he gets there, and sure enough, here's a widow at the gate, and she's picking up sticks to build a fire. It wasn't exactly what he'd pictured. But you never one time see Elijah complaining about the circumstances. How many times do we complain about the circumstances we're in? Hey, when you're in transitional seasons, be careful. Don't complain. If God's blessing you and God's taking care of you and meeting your needs, don't complain. Keep believing for more. Keep believing for everything he's promised, but don't complain about it. And it's interesting. The word contentment in the, in the New Testament, in the original writings, it literally means a self-satisfaction. It means I am going to choose to be satisfied with the way things are. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not believing for more. It doesn't mean God hasn't promised more and this is the end of the road. But it's saying I am on my journey, I am in process, and I'm not going to lock horns with God over how he's being God. I'm going to choose to trust him. Talking about contentment, God wants you to trust him. Discontentment is a sign of mistrust. God wants me to trust him. Now, something interesting. Contentment, if you look at it closely, it's really a product of God's peace, of patience, of faith, of self-control or temperance. The point I want to make is contentment is really a product of the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives. And here's what Paul wrote to a young preacher named Timothy. 
He says, now godliness with contentment is a great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, your godliness is great. You're on a good path. But learn contentment because it's great gain when you learn to be content where you are with what God has provided. Stay in relationship and trust with God. Then he goes into verse 7. He says this, For we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we're going to carry nothing out of it. Paul wrote those words. We brought nothing in, we're carrying nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. It kind of reminds me of the story I heard years ago about these uh, four guys. They were just best friends. They ran around together, did all kinds of stuff, you know, got into trouble together, and, you know, they, they kind of caroused and so forth. Anyway, they kind of had this agreement among themselves as they got older that wh whichever one would pass away first or second or third, that the remaining friends would not let him go into the afterworld broke. So they made an agreement among themselves. Okay, whenever one of us passes away, the others are going to come to the funeral and slip some money inside the casket to make sure we got money when we get there. So one guy got sick and, and passed away, and they, and they have his funeral. And his three buddies walk up, and everybody's away from the casket now, and they're looking around, and one of them reaches in his pocket and pulls out five $100 bills, he tucks it in his lapel and says, there you are, I told you I'd do that. The second one looks around and pulls out five $100 bills and sticks it in his lapel and says, there you go, there's my 500 And his third friend stood there for a minute and thought about it and said, you know what? I promised you I'd do this, I'm going to do it. But right now, I'm a little short on cash, I forgot to go to the bank. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write you a check, but I'm going to write it for 1500 and take that 1000 change because I'm going to need it later. <laughs> Friend, you're not taking it with you. You're not taking it. And we need to learn contentment with where we are. Does, does it ever amaze you that Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Most of us are praying for monthly bread or yearly bread. Jesus said, pray for daily bread. We need to learn to trust God one day at a time. And here, here's why. Discontentment belittles God's provision. Discontentment says, God, that's good, not good enough for me. Second thing, discontentment wrestles against the will of God. You don't want to wrestle against God's will. Discontentment resists the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. And discontentment damages me and those around me. You know, in dealing with people through the years... I've seen people make some of their worst mistakes in life in seasons of discontentment. And trying to make everything the way they wanted it and fix everything that was going on inside of them, they threw everything away and changed it for everything else. And in doing so, oftentimes we often make the greatest mistakes and the biggest regrets of our lives. So let's be careful about discontentment. That we keep our hearts trusting the Lord. And then one more thing I want to show you. The third word is flexibility. Flexibility. God wants us to remain pliable in his hands. It's interesting that God wants to lead us to the right place, but we have to be willing to follow. He told Elijah, I'll protect you and I'll feed you at the brook, but you got to go there. I'll take care of you in Zarephath, but the widow's there. you got to go there. And he obeyed. He was pliable in the hands of the Lord. And sometimes we get this attitude, well, you know what, God, I'm going to sit right here until you do what you said you're going to do. And sometimes God's instructions are, do not sit there. That's a bad place to sit. It's a trap. You need to get up and move. I've got a better place. Let's go. Nope, nope, got to do it my way. Here's what a lot of us don't understand sometimes. And in dealing with people through the years, I think all of us have done this. We always think that God's provision is at an appointed time. Usually, God's provision is at an appointed place. God, where's the provision? It's a Zarephath. God, 
When are you going to bring it? I'm hungry. I haven't had a meal for three days. God, what am I going to do? Go to Zarephath. God, where are you? I'm in Zarephath. See, we miss the fact that God is looking for this flexibility that says, I'll obey you. I'll follow you. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I'll not get entrenched where I am. Psalms 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. How many of you know that verse? Let me see your hands. How many know that verse? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I've heard that all my life. But growing up in church, I never knew what it meant to delight yourself in the Lord. I'll just be delightful. I'll be delighted with God. I want to be delighted. That's not what it's talking about. That word delight means to be soft and pliable. Be soft and pliable in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. What he's saying is you've got to be flexible, flexible because sometimes I need you to help me get to a place because your provision is at a place. Thank you. And if, if you go back and look at verse 9, go back to verse 9 if, you, if you've got it there in front of you. In verse 9, the Lord said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there, there, there. And he said, See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And we miss the point that the provision is not about timing, it's about the place. It's at Zarephath. You know, Ann and I came back out here in 2008, in the fall of 2008, when the financial crisis had really sunk in. And I remember those hard years, 2008 through 2012 or 13, 14, right in there. They, they were hard years. And I think a lot of us got hit so hard. We got pounded in so many ways, especially in this area out here, that some of us you know, haven't even recovered all that we had back then when it started. We're still trying to rebuild some things. I believe God has a blessing ahead of us, but sometimes the answer is in being pliable and not getting stuck in old ways and realizing God may do some new things in new ways in a new place. And I have to be pliable in the hands of the Lord. Even church. I remember through the years hearing pastors say, boy, we got such a great church, we don't want things to change ever. Most of those churches have closed their doors now. Because each generation is different and they're reached in different ways. The methods change, but the message does not. We've got to understand. We've got to be flexible because God knows where he's going. And he knows where we need to be. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be soft and pliable. Whatever you want, God, wherever you want me, I'll go. If it's 80 miles from here, across the desert. And can you imagine God saying, get up and walk to India. Well, I'm going to bless you there. I mean, this afternoon, Okay going to be 96 or 7 here be 107 there how many are ready to run to indio today see that's the that's the problem right there that's the problem right there i ain't going to indio god says i've got a widow in indio to take care of you some people have a love affair with the past and they wouldn't leave the past for anything not even god's will Do you know my entrenchment in the past can keep me from walking into God's future that he has for me? I'm almost finished, but let me share a couple thoughts here. One of the things I've learned about people, when we realize we don't have total control, we tend to freak out. And that's not the work of God. That's, that's the work of fear. It's not the work of God. That constant demanding control, that's not God. That's not God. That's your fear that's doing that. Boy, the most rewarding place, the most peaceful place you'll ever know is when you turn loose of everything and put it in God's hands and say, okay, it's yours. And you hear God say, I got it. I got it. Be pliable, be flexible in the hands of the Lord. When was the last time 
your plan was better than God's plan? Have you ever had an idea that was better than his? I've had a lot of ideas in my life, and God's always had a better one. You know, I'm, I'm the guy who can pray a prayer, and then I can tell God 17 ways to answer it. And God chooses number 18 because he's God. You've got to be flexible. In closing this morning, <clears throat> ask two questions. How long, how long did the experience for Elijah last at the brook? How, how long did he stay at the widow's house? How long did that miraculous oil and, and, and flower thing keep going? You see, what's the point? That whole story is somewhere in the vicinity of three and three and a half years, those two stories together. Time isn't recorded in Scripture to tell us exactly, but the two stories are basically three, three and a half years. Some of you come to a brook, God has led you there, and it's like, oh God, it's drying up, what am I going to do? It's time to listen to God. He's got new instructions for you. Don't fear. Once you understand this is a part of life, you can engage it with God's help and not waste days and not waste efforts and not wear yourself out and go crazy. God knows the way. He's trying to get you there. Scripture says that once that widow came in, and, and I'll get to this next week, once she came in and fixed that cake for Elijah, that cruise of oil, that bottle of oil, and that little thing of flour, it never ran dry for a long period of time. Day after day, there was always stuff there. And it says it fed her and her son and her household and Elijah for many days. But once the rains came, that season came to an end also. Some of you here today are about to encounter new seasons. Some of you are afraid of it. Some of you are wrestling with it. Some of you don't even know it's coming yet. And when it hits, some people are going to panic and fall apart. Let me tell you something. God's got it. God's got it. God's got it. Just be flexible. Be flexible. Number one, obey. Get alone. Get his instructions. Obey. Number two, be content. Be content with the journey. Don't gripe and grumble and complain. Put praise in your mouth and keep following God. What he's promised is coming. Number three, be flexible. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to pray two prayers, but I want to pray for you right now. So I'm going to ask everybody here to bow your heads if you would, please. Father, this message is your timing. It's your call. This is the word for this moment in this church. God, you're preparing some hearts. You're massaging some people for the future, but there are some people here today, they're right in the middle of the process of change right now, and you're speaking to them right now about what to do. Father, I pray that you would help us increase our faith, strengthen us today in the faith, help us to hear your word and obey, help us to be content with where we are right now, and help us to be flexible and pliable in your hands. God, there are people here right now, there's a storm going on inside of them. I, I speak to that storm. I say, settle down in Jesus' name. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. God's got this. It's okay. It's okay. God's got it. He's got tomorrow before you ever get there. He knows the end from the beginning. Fear not. God's got it. I come against fear in this building. I come against doubt. Those who would expect the worst, I, I, I command it to stop right now in Jesus' name. And I just speak peace and faith throughout this room in the name of Jesus. Would you just raise your hands and worship God for a moment? Father, we praise you today in this room. We glorify you. We thank you for your word. It's wisdom for us. It's our bread. It's our direction. We thank you for it today, Father. We glorify you. We glorify you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.
while we're worshiping God, this gentleman has a word he wants to share. He believes from the Lord. I want you to open your hearts and receive it today. This my servant has spoken the truth to you. My word come forth to you. There is no excuse. There is no excuse. You heard the truth. Those of you who ache in, in body and soul and spirit, those of you who have broken relationships, those of you who are in need of financial needs, those of you who are suffering in every area of your life, obedience is better than sacrifice. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and have my righteousness, and it shall be supplied. But you must seek first, study, meditate, Upon my words, be a servant, obedient to my word, know my word, and ground it in my heart, in your heart, that you will hear and know my spirit that dwells in you. You are called to be obedient. You are called to walk in obedience and worship me, the only true living God, who made you body, soul, and spirit. Walk in obedience. Seek his face. He is real. He means real. He is, he is for you. He's not against you. Choose life instead of death. Yes. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Sometimes sacrifices are, are, are part of obedience. Remember, his way is the best way. His way is righteousness and holiness before you. couple things. Number one, God just confirmed what we've preached today. If you've never seen that before, you've never heard that before, 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapters 12 and 14, talks about the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. Two of the gifts are tongues and interpretation of tongues. Those two gifts we've heard this morning. We, listen, listen a minute, let me, let me finish. We don't glorify gifts here, we glorify God. We don't put gifts on a pedestal. This isn't something that God does often in our services, but when God does it, we welcome what God is doing. And the reason I share this this morning is I don't want anybody to leave this place saying, what in the world happened? That was the Holy Spirit speaking through a yielded man, confirming God's word to us, encouraging us today. Can we just give God thanks for that? Thank you, Father. One, one last thing. I want you to bow your heads one more time. Father, I ask you to knock on the door of people's hearts right now, right where they are. Some of you sitting in this house today, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you came to this service. You're not in relationship with God. You never have been, or maybe you once were, but you've been on the run. But maybe as you've said in this service today, you felt something tugging at your heart, and you realize this is real, this is real, this is real. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God tugging on your heart. That's God saying, I want you to be my child. I want you to know me. I want you to be in relationship with me. I want to wash away your sins, bring you into relationship with me that you can be my child and I can be your father and I can settle eternity for you forever. That's God wanting to get involved in your life, but he has to have your permission. God knocks on the door of our hearts and we have to say, Lord, come in truth is 2,000 years ago God put his own son on a cross to pay for our sins so that everything wrong with us would be put on him and everything right with him could be put into our lives but we have to accept what he has for us so right there where you are while heads are bowed and eyes are closed I'm going to ask everybody in the house to pray this prayer with me 
Say, God, I need you. I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I want to know you. I believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. And I accept Jesus as my Savior. And I choose to make Jesus the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I will follow you. You'll be my father. I'll be your child. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, or maybe you've been on the run and you decide it's time to come home, it's the best decision you can ever make in life, the most important decision you make. And here's the thing. Before you leave today, I want to give you a little tool that will help you get started walking with God. It's a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. When service is over in a couple minutes, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. If you just walk down to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. No strings attached. If you're in a big rush, you can go out into the lobby. And just before you exit the building, between the glass doors in the middle, there's a table set up there with a big sign that says the next seven days. You can stop there and ask for the booklet there. If you don't remember the name, just ask for the booklet. They'll know what you're wanting. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. God bless you today. Hey, can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? Awesome. One last thing. Well, two things. How many of you enjoyed being in God's house today? God speak to you today? I believe he has. Two things. Number one, tomorrow night is the first Monday night of Bridge Women this fall. It's going to be awesome. And they are really gearing on the generations, the young women, the middle-aged women, the older women. We don't have any older women here, but young women and middle-aged women. But they're really bridging the gaps, and they're going to be really, really pouring into your lives tomorrow night. It's going to be so good. So bring your, your daughters, your granddaughters, your great-granddaughters. Be there tomorrow night. It starts at 630. It's going to be an awesome night. And when you go today, I need a handful of men, just 10 or 12 guys. If you could help us for 10, 15 minutes out setting up for tomorrow night, just go out to the lobby and hang a left, go into Bridge Youth Area. Help us for just a few minutes, set up tables and chairs. It would really be a blessing. Hey, I want you to know I love you and appreciate you so much. You guys are the best. Have a great, great Sunday.